Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Berg. And I'm Dr. Jeanette Benegas. And we are here to fix SLP. We are discussing the biggest challenges that are currently holding back the field of speech-language pathology. We present the issues with facts and invite you to be part of joining our movement to make things better, one conversation at a time. Let's fix SLP. Fearless Fixers, welcome back. This is Jeanette. This is episode 11. And we are so excited. Just a few days ago, we found out that we were number 94 on the USA business careers category on Apple Podcasts. And we kind of blasted it everywhere because we were so excited. And that caused a whole bunch of people to listen to episodes and more episodes. And now we're number 50. Congratulations, Megan. Yay. Thanks, everybody. It's kind of an exciting thing just to see your, see our little icon on a list and, you know, just fun to celebrate that. So what we'd really like for you to do, we never have asked this before on the podcast, but we would absolutely love it. If you could go right now, hit pause, Go leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. We don't want four. We don't want three. We want five. A five-star review. And also, if you could write a review about what you're loving, about what we're doing for the SLP community and what we're doing maybe for you personally or your state or, or what you've seen happening, because all of those things will help improve our visibility, whether we're on a list or not, people really aren't looking at lists, right? But but people are looking at ratings and reviews, and that will bump us up in suggestions and um, when people are searching. And part of this movement is getting our name out there and, and making sure other SLPs see us because not everybody is on Facebook. Not everybody is on Instagram. Not everybody is reading the posts that people are suggesting us on. And so we still have about 150,000 more SLPs to reach. And through the podcast is a great way to reach that. So please, please, please press pause, go write us a review, go give us that five-star rating, and then come on back. The written reviews mean a lot. And that does help with the algorithms to bump us up and get us into more ears. So if the message that we have to share and the conversations that we're having are ones that you would like many, many other SLPs to have because there are strength in numbers, then it's that written review that's going to get us into more ears and in front of more eyes and and expand this conversation even more. Yeah. And Megan and I took a little time once we landed on this list, we took a little time to investigate numbers of SLP colleagues who have well-known podcasts. And we, we were looking at download numbers per episode. And man, if we could have some of those listen numbers per episode, just think about the changes that could happen in this field. And we keep saying over and over, Megan and I can't fix stuff for you. We can definitely advocate and help and organize and announce and encourage and dig, but we cannot change all of the things by ourselves. We need everyone's help. And that means more exposure to more people. And so, man, if we, if we even had, 
10,000 listens an episode. Just think about what that would do to the field of speech pathology. It would be amazing. And amazing just because people would be listening to us and like agreeing with us. Just amazing that SLPs would be having conversations and like we don't necessarily want to dictate (laughs) where those conversations go, but just the energy where SLPs Mm -hmm. feel empowered to start Mm -hmm. to fix things in our field. I can attest that Megan would rather not be in the public eye. Probably the idea (laughs) of 10,000 listens an episode makes her very uncomfortable. (laughs) But yeah, you know, this isn't about us. This is about changing speech language pathology for the entire community. And then the trickle down effect of changing things, changing the way things happen for the people that we serve. Eventually, we have other topics that we are going to move on to of things that need fixed. If you're new to listen, you can circle back to the SLP data initiative that we took part in about 10 months ago. And um, you can look at the strengths and weaknesses that five to 7,000 SLPs identified in the field of speech pathology. And we want to talk about some of those things. It's a good place to look and see where you land on some of those topics. So eventually, yes, we are going to move on, but somehow we are still talking about our first topic. So what what's that topic, Megan? What are we going to talk about today? We are still unpacking the CCC. Why do so many SLPs feel like we have to have it? Why... Is there sort of a cultural divide between practicing SLPs and academic SLPs about what the CCC represents? And recently we posted an Instagram to our stories asking people to tell us things that they've learned from this podcast. And an academic SLP responded and in a very patronizing tone said, That she learned that Fix SLP doesn't understand the relationship between national certifications or the national certification and state licensing boards. And so what I was hoping we could do and just talk about ASHA, is ASHA a regulatory body? Does ASHA regulate the field of SLP? And therefore, like, I guess I'm assuming what this person was saying is that we don't understand that ASHA sets the standard that state licensing boards are expected to follow. That's my assumption. And they are, this person is assuming that we just don't understand that ASHA, in fact, regulates this field. Because we're idiots. We don't understand. (laughs) We have done no research. We have not spent hours looking at websites and regulations and asking questions and emailing state boards who don't want to get back with us. We've done none of that. We don't, we don't understand, but we do, we actually do understand. So the first thing I thought was, well, Hey, if, if we're not educated, let's, let's get us some education. So I went to the old internet and I, I looked up what does the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association do. This is what I found. The mission of the American Speech, Language, Hearing Association, ASHA, is to promote the interests of and provide the highest quality services for for professionals in audiology, speech language pathology, and speech and hearing science, and to advocate for people 
with communication disabilities. That statement doesn't say anything about regulation. It also doesn't say anything about advocating for speech-language pathologists, interestingly. This statement only says it's advocating for people with communication disabilities. I mean, this is where historically, especially in the case of, of speech pathology, the association kind of stepped in in 1925 and then really in the mid-1960s to start to define what speech pathology was and is. And like similar to occupational therapy and physical therapy, we have sort of this odd ball history. It's not like architecture where it's like, it's very clear (laughs) what the scope of an architect is. Like they're designing buildings, but with the therapies, there was a little bit going on in the schools with stuttering and articulation. And then there was a little bit going on with World War One, World War Two, with brain injuries, a little bit going on with the, the stroke population. There's just like all these little bits and pieces. And what ASHA did was kind of bring it all together under one scope. And like, we don't question that anymore. We don't say like, that's weird. Like, that's weird that somebody working with tracheostomy also has the same job title as somebody who's addressing school-based interventions. <laughs> like, that's not weird at all. Like, we don't we don't think anything about it. It just, it's, it's kind of, I think at this point, it's always how it's been. And none of us were alive to see it any other way. And it's very hard for us collectively to envision any other way to do it. And so because Asha stepped in to fill that role and kind of define the field and define the scope, I think they're perceived as a regulatory body because they're getting to kind of decide what speech language pathologists treat and where they work and all of that. But really, that's just an association body that's making recommendations for the field. It's not like a hard and fast rule. I'm going to issue a correction, Megan. Okay. You said none of us were alive to see that, but you aren't on the Facebook the where Facebook. I meet all of our boomer friends who, again, I was going to say, it's people from 1925. I've, but, no, yeah. not from 1925, <laughs> but there are definitely some older speech pathologists who we, again, welcome into our community who um, have been around to see what it was like 50 years ago. And we've had some good conversations with these folks, not 1925, but definitely not a hundred years ago, but definitely 50 years ago. So 50 years ago would be the seventies. So that would have been around the time of bogus versus Asha. Was it? That wasn't, that was like, that was only like 20 years ago, Megan. <laughs> I'm kidding. 70s? Okay. No, you're right. I'm just, it's just one of those things. I wasn't even alive in the seventies, but could have been that long ago. That old. I feel like I feel like this is taking a turn, and we're gonna make some <laughs> enemies with this. Listen, I have on jeans today that are branded as '90s jeans. I should have just kept my jeans from the '90s instead of spending money on new ones. <laughs> okay, right, but if you think about the 1970s, that was like 15, 10 to 15 years into the CCC, mm-hmm. and that was just that was like when they were allowing 
non-academic SLPs into ASHA, but only if you paid for the certification. Like that was the beginning of all of mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before, like people, I think a lot of people thought it was a good thing because anybody could just open up a speech therapy practice regardless of their education or experience. And ASHA brought a much needed legitimacy to the field. And I think that's why historically, like those, that's where those historical roots are. And they're so deep and they're so embedded and entrenched and entangled in everything. And so SLPs just view them as a regulatory body. But ASHA doesn't actually have any control over SLPs other than the ones who choose to pay for their certification. Yep. So we had this, this very friendly academic SLP tell us, put us in our place through Messenger, but also regular clinicians too still believe this. So just today, there's a conversation going on under a post. Again, fix SLP was tagged. Thank you, everybody. I I love seeing that. It just makes my heart warm. But there is there is someone who's asking really great questions who legitimately wants to know about fix SLP and what fix SLP is going to do for the profession and This particular person said, the problem is it's regulated. Okay, what was this in reference to? The CCC and the CCC in the profession. The problem is it's regulated by ASHA and companies feel they have to follow ASHA. So while the CCC itself is regulated by ASHA, the profession is not. So I just provided a little education there about that. But there's clinicians who think that still. And I think we've touched on this in our posts and on podcasts before. But Asha would love for you to believe that they are a regulatory body who gets to say what you do and don't do. But that's not the case. I mean, they do set the scope. Yeah. But even then, I, how does that all work? <laughs> so Asha decides, like, this is the scope of, of speech language pathology. If you're going to call yourself a speech language pathologist, you can treat literacy and you can treat tracheostomies. I think probably those are recommendations that then also trickle down to the state level. So I can only speak from where I'm coming from. And where I'm coming from is as a mobile fees owner with extensive knowledge about fees, not every state allows the speech language pathologist, or they may now, the last one may have changed. But in the past, not every state has allowed speech language pathologists to pass the scope or pass the scope without a doctor present. So those, while ASHA would say that it is in our scope of practice, there are particular states that would say that's not in your scope of practice. Very specifically, the state of Pennsylvania, when I was working on my uh, PhD, I spent time in at Pitt, and I worked multiple hours a week in the lab of Roxanne Diaz-Gross, and across the hall, she would scope while I was there working in a very dark lab all alone, re- reading swallow studies by myself for like hours upon hours. But while she was there, she was working clinic and th- she would be there with a doctor because at that time, Pennsylvania did not allow the speech pathologist to pass the scope. And there were some amazing SLPs that lobbied and advocated to get that change. So now you can 
pass the scope in Pennsylvania without a doctor present. So I think probably those recommendations are made, but still that doesn't, that's, it's not like ASHA waves its magic wand and says, this will be, and then it is, the state has to adopt those things and, and say what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do under our state license. Yeah. I think also, and I don't know this, but this is just from spending so many hours collecting all the information about Medicaid requirements. I noticed a lot that Medicaid would kind of list out what speech pathology services mm-hmm. would be covered. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think like a lot of this, it's a blend of insurance and state regulation and ASHA recommendations. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not covered by Medicaid, then we would have the right to provide a service for cash. It doesn't mean right. we're not allowed to do it. Yeah. It just means Medicaid or Medicare isn't going to pay for it. And a PT yeah. does a lot of that. PT does a lot of things that aren't necessarily covered. And then, well, the private practice owners, that's how they make their money they bill insurance and then they add on these cash only modalities to their service so they can make more. We don't have a ton of cash only modalities. That's the problem with us. Well, we have a lot of problems that we are here to help fix. That's one of the problems is we have not yet found our way to a ton of cash only modalities to uh, boost our income. While Megan is on pause, I told her today, we record this and we make content and we do all of the things that you are seeing us do in our free time because this isn't our job. So I told her we are living life, not running a Fortune 500 company. So we try to record and meet when Megan has childcare and she doesn't have childcare this week. So she's got a sweet little girl that is up early from a nap. So she's trying to get her settled. So I'll just, I'll keep talking to you. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, thank you. Welcome. Um, to bring it back to physical therapists, they have the American Physical Therapy Association, which also, you know, continues to evolve and define the PT scope of practice. And they make recommendations, but they do not sell a national certification that is required for physical therapists. So for people saying we don't understand the relationship between a national certification and state licensing boards, I think what they're saying is that this national certification sets the standard. And without that standard, the state licensing board wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know what to require. And I think, again, we can just look to our physical therapy colleagues as a model because they don't have a national certification. APTA, AOTA, ASHA, they could all come up with different requirements or recommendations that state licensing boards could follow. And that does not have to be a $225 fee that's put on the backs of working clinicians year after year after year. It doesn't cost that much money to make a recommendation and communicate that to state licensing boards. Right. I think where people start to get confused too is we have ASHA making these recommendations about our scope and trying to help define what we do and who we are and 
what we advocate for, but then they sell this certification pro- product that that gets confused and we keep calling it a a twisted web, right? It's it's this twisted web of recommendations and and being a membership association, but then also selling this product where the fee is twisted up with the the certification product and the membership and you know it just this whole confusing thing to people that people don't really understand at this point haven't understood i guess they're separate they're separate and they can asha can regulate the ccc because it's their product just like if you open your own business you get to regulate what happens in your business within the law so asha gets to do that they get to do it and they'll change the requirements of the CCC or at least getting the CCC based on what the universities and the market are telling them. So we've seen changes every couple years, the requirements for the CCC change, and that's based on feedback, but that's all they get to regulate. They don't get to regulate what me, Jeanette, is doing in Ohio or is doing in Pennsylvania with my business. Now, if I did something unethical, they could take away my CCC. But if it got to that point, I'd just resign. And we talked about that the last episode. And we're going to talk more about like, sort of the evidence base quote behind the CCC. And it's the same evidence base the same survey basically that the council for academic accreditation uses for the grad school programs. And so there's nothing like unique that is defining the CCC separate from the tests that go on the prax or the questions that go on the praxis test and the requirements to finish your SLP degree. And so again, for like the hundredth time, because apparently we're not making this clear, it's like, the CCC is a one-time training milestone. It's not ethically, I mean, this is what it's sold as, but it's not ethically a full scope certification across the entire scope of speech language pathology. It doesn't guarantee that somebody could go work one day in the schools and then the next day in the hospital and the next day in home health and like have all of the skills for that without any assurance that actual specific training has been provided. And so where was I going with this or where did I come from with this? It's like, (laughs) like paying $225 a year. Like it's, it's just completely worthless, but because the certification has blown up to be like the thing that defines a good quote, good speech language pathologist and regulates quote, regulates the field that we all have to have the certification and like, we don't question that it's odd that we're having to pay to reinstate it every year when it was just a one-time training a little milestone that doesn't with that. Like this is a good place for me to insert that. I, we've mentioned on our social, I think that I have been um, back and forth with Toby Dynavox about their requirement that someone with the CCC sign reports for AAC devices for for evaluations. And I I am still back and forth with them, but the response that I got to my most recent email it 
it was almost like they they copied and pasted without full understanding um and again this is what this is what they told me well asha defines the ccc certificate as the ccc slp demonstrates to patients employers and organizations that you are committed beyond the basic requirements for the state licensure in the field of slp okay great i'm 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 pleased that ASHA has defined that for you, Toby Dynavox, but that is not the regulation that comes from Medicare and Medicaid. Those are different things. So just because ASHA says that, you know, this is this is us being committed, and you've heard me rant about this already, if you've been listening from the beginning, ASHA says we're committed beyond, that does not define my ability to do an AAC evaluation and sign it. Right. Sure. Like that. So sure. that that recommendation, I, like, that definition is not a regulation. That doesn't mean I have to have this ECC to do the job. And and so they did give me more. But the problem is they didn't give me links to regulations. And so I don't know if their response is based on the SLP rumor mill and all of the misinformation that we are trying to undo is is that where their policy comes from or is it from actual regulation yeah, so it's not we have to dig from... into that further i i've invited them to a conversation hopefully they decide to join because that would having a conversation with them and hashing this out is i think the best way to do this um but yeah. if they don't want to uh, we'll come to you guys and we will um we'll dig in together I mean, Medicare is regulated at the federal level. So Medicare does not require the CCC to bill, period. And that's a very clean cut conversation because it's not it's not left up to uh, left up to the states like Medicaid is. And I don't know the full history of that, but I'm sure there's just some crazy story about how it turned out that Medicaid was regulated by each individual state. But there are a handful of states, eight states that require the CCC to bill Medicaid. So it would be those states that are required to have the CCC to bill for an AAC evaluation. But like I have my CCC right now, not for much longer, but I have it right now. And I should not be completing an AAC evaluation. I don't now have the training. professor. So I, I could. I, I literally <laughs> teach it. But if I let my CCC go, Toby Dynavox is saying, and by the way, Pranky Romick is saying the same thing. I just have not yet been able to connect with them. Only with the person who came to speak in my class yesterday was the beginning of the conversation. But if I were to let my CCC go, as I, I'm never going to call myself an AAC expert, but I do have decent knowledge. If I let the CCC go today, then I wouldn't be able to sign an eval, at least with Toby Dynavox and PRC. But what they are saying, they, they did say in this email, the CCC is a Medicare requirement for the CCC evaluation. You said for the CCC evaluation, but you meant the AAC Yeah, evaluation. I'm sorry. All these letters. All these <laughs> it's not because I emailed CMS and I asked them very specifically and they said it's not. So Right. Well, yeah, you asked they, very specifically they, if it was required to, to bill... Medicare as a speech pathologist, but they're saying the CC. Okay, here's the here's what they wrote. I'll just read it. Obtaining a speech generating device, insurance 
requirements. Are CCCs required to sign an SLP evaluation for Medicare to obtain a speech generating device for a patient? Answer, yes, CCCs are a Medicare requirement for the SLP evaluation. A licensed SLP can sign the report, but he or she will need a supervising SLP with the CCCs to sign the report as well. So we may need to reach back out to Medicare to confirm that or deny that. But again, there was no link to any regulation in anything that they sent me. And so that's where the problem lies. Hopefully they'll jump back in and say, yeah, let's talk about it. But they might not want to. PSU.edu, is that Penn State University? Yeah, yeah. They have this thing that has information about device coverage. And they say what a speech pathologist is. They say speech language pathologists are licensed health professionals educated at the graduate level in the study of human communication, its development, and its disorders. The SLP must hold a clinical cert- certificate of clinical competence in speech language pathology from the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Is that just Penn State's opinion on the matter? I don't know. <laughs> or is that Medicare's opinion? And then because the information is so hard to find from Medicare, is are these companies just relying on this Penn State website? You know, and that's where they're and getting Penn, their as an educator, Penn State has a big a big voice in the community. They I don't know, maybe I should go, here we go. Up. Here we go. Okay. This is at cms.gov slash Medicare coverage database. A qualified speech language pathologist for program coverage purposes meets one of the following requirements. The education and experience requirements for a CCC granted by ASHA or meets the educational requirements for certification is in in the process of accumulating the supervised experience required for certification. So let's define. Define or, the or. What they're saying is like, no, but they were saying that you're in the process of it. So that would be like a CF. Oh, have to be in the process of it. So what does the education and experience requirements for a CCC granted by ASHA? To me, that means you just have to have the equivalent. Right. The equivalent. But they're saying with the or that someone with the CCC still needs to sign it. But what you just said there would mean that in the or you get to sign it yourself if you're a in your professional experience. In your standpoint. Yeah. So Toby Dynavox themselves said, if you're in your fellowship, you have to have, Medicare says you have to have someone sign for you. So they're not clear. We need to, we need to go through this. This is what happens when you have large institutions like Penn State putting these things on their website, or like we talked about the New Jersey Speech Pathology State Association having inaccurate information on their website. Like there's just so many rumors and there's so many layers where, again, we're just assuming that ASHA is a regulatory bond. There's something else I want to unpack surrounding this. We have a follower, follower Melanie, and I have been having some good conversations via Messenger. She has asked some great questions about holding on to her CCC because of endoscopy. So again, back to this endoscopy thing. And since we've started recording, she sent a message. And so before I read her message, Megan, let me ask you, Asha, 
makes the code of ethics. Do we have to follow the code of ethics if we're not a member of ASHA? No, we do not. We have to follow the code of ethics of our licensing entity. Does every state have a code of ethics for speech language pathologists? Yes. These are questions I don't actually know the answers to. That's why I was asking. So here's her question. And it might not be specific to speech pathology. It might be like, if you are licensed for any occupation in the state, these are your the ethics that you must abide by. And they're probably going to base somebody were to report an SLP to ASHA, that they would go by the ASHA code of ethics and then also provide disciplinary mm-hmm. action at the state level. So ASHA has a position statement for endoscopy. And for all of our like pediatric people, I'm sorry, this is very healthy. This could be applied to anything and in any situation where ASHA has written some kind of position statement. So the position statement says it is the official position, not regulation, position. It is the official position of the American Speech Language and Hearing Association, ASHA, that endoscopy is an imaging procedure included within the scope of practice for speech language pathologists and described in previously established ASHA documents. And then they go on to list those documents. Speech language pathologists with specialized training in flexible nasal endoscopy, rigid oral endoscopy, and or stroboscopy use these tools for the purpose of evaluating and treating voice disorders of speech, voice, resonance, and swallowing function. So that's the position statement. There is a statement that she pulled out. She copied and pasted it. It is required that individuals who practice independently in this area, and again, we're talking about endoscopy, hold the CCC in speech language pathology and abide by the ASHA code of ethics including principle of ethics two rule B, which states that individuals shall engage in only those aspects of the profession that they are within the scope of their competence, considering their level of education, training, and experience. This document was developed by the working group on endoscopy. So what that's saying there to me is you have to be competency trained to pass the scope. And we hopefully y'all know that. But it's that first piece that's interesting. It's required that individuals who practice independently in the area hold the CCC and abide by the ASHA Code of Ethics. So ASHA is saying it's required to pass a scope that you have to have the CCC. But to me, that doesn't mean that the state has to require that. No. There's very little regulation in the state of Ohio, period. Now, the state of Tennessee, there's tons of regulations for passing a scope and even training and being a mentor. There's all kinds of regulations. But even if it came, even if this came from a different document, it says this document was developed by the working group on endoscopy. Well, they don't control what we do either. It's still the state that controls what we do within our state not the working group on endoscopy, not ASHA, the state. Yeah, and I I would say this is where our $225 a year is going is, I mean, there's a lot of money that's spent on making these statements that make it sound like the CCC is the be-all, end-all of everything SLP. And it's not. (laughs) It's a very basic sign that, again, you've completed these introductory training milestones 
other than that, it doesn't mean anything. And so when Asha continues to put out statement after statement after statement for all different kinds of things, whether it's scoping or whatever, and then this is how you get websites like Penn State, like just repeating it and everybody's just, and then we're all like these just little robotic lemmings that are like, we need the CCC, we need the CCC. And it's like, do we actually, do we actually know what it means and what it stands for and like what it's promising people? Yeah, I will reach out to Penn State because they've been a wonderful resource. So I don't want people to think that they're not doing a great thing. Uh, they they really have some wonderful training things. And shout out to Sarah Wallace, who is there, who does a ton of education in our field in the area of AAC. You know, they, they're doing really great things. So I might touch base with her and ask about these questions because she may have links to the actual regulations. And then maybe even I suggest like, hey, could you put a link to the regulation where you have that on your website, just so there's transparency. So people understand where these things are actually coming from. I think that would be helpful. So maybe even before I go to PRC and start that conversation, I'll try to connect, connect up with her. But this is like, I mean, I saw you had commented on somebody's survey. Is that right? Or they were doing some research and they wanted oh, yeah. to participate yeah. in order to participate they had to have the CCC and it's like, well, why, why do you have to, why? And, that, and their response was something like, that's how we can ensure that they are all adequately trained. Is that right? Or licensed? Right. Yeah. I'm. There's a very simple solution to this is like, instead of asking for somebody's CCC number, they just ask for their state license number. And I think, I think one little thing that we can all be doing every day in our clinical practice is just questioning people. Yeah. Like anything you see that a CCC is required, just ask why I'm willing to bet is like not going to be a great response other than this whole like, well, that's how we know that they're qualified as an SLP. And it's like, nope, <laughs> you yeah. can be a so, licensed. Like that's what we need to be looking for is licensed SLPs. This was from a university in New York. And I that's exactly what I did because they are looking to collect some data related to motor speech. And I'm also a motor speech professor. So I would be a great person to jump in. And I'm, I'm someone who wants to support the research in our field. And but requirement number one says are a certified SLP parentheses CCC SLP. And given our movement here, I just very nicely asked the question, can I ask why the CCC is required? Your state only requires a state license to practice and bill Medicaid, and that license has equivalent requirements. Uh, other people jumped in with information that wasn't correct, but I, I will jump down to what the researcher said. Because we're recruiting from all over the country and requirements for practice vary widely, the easiest and cleanest way to ensure we're getting licensed SLPs for this study is to require the CCC. This is consistent. Very widely? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'll read my response. <laughs> this, this is consistent with other research in our area as well. This is definitely something we'll think about in the future to be more inclusive. We appreciate your understanding. So a very nice response. And I just, I let her know, I said, all states have state licensure requirements that are equal to or more rigorous than the CCC. Further, 
The interstate compact will not require the CCC. Thanks for considering it for the future. The face of SLP is changing, and we need to let go of these archaic practices that are tying SLPs down. And she didn't respond, but she did like the post. And so, you know, so many of you are doing so many great things and like jumping in and and, and educating. And so this is just another way to do that. Like Megan said, question why these requirements are there and ask, ask why. And, and their answer was, well, that's how we've always done it. And that's how everyone's doing it. So now be the, the change we need to see and, and be the first person who just requires the state license. Because then the next person, you know, the person who reads your research and cites it and uses it as a guide will follow suit. It just takes one person to make the change. One. Yeah. And it's it's just going to be a slow cultural shift and this awakening to the fact that, sure, the CCP was useful. It It got us to where we are today. We don't need it anymore. We're allowed to change. We're allowed to move forward. We're allowed to function like every other professional group of people in the United States that operates on state licensing boards. And like we have a voice and we have a say in our profession and the regulations that get passed that have an impact on us. And we're not here waiting for a national association to regulate anything because they're not a regulatory body. That's not what they are here for. They can recommend things, they can put out statements, they can talk about scope of practice, they can host conferences, they can charge you for CEUs, like they can do a lot of things and like, yeah, they're very representative and it's one of the most longest standing and historical institutions of this field, but this field is very young and like they're not the only association out there and they won't be the last and like we should be allowed to change and we should be allowed to evolve and we don't need the ccc to demonstrate our competency anymore because it doesn't demonstrate competency to begin with yeah i think this is a good place to wrap up before we do i just i want to mention if you've made it this far thank you we are currently scheduling state associations to come on and talk about what their state association is doing, what they've done in the past, what they're doing now, where they'd like to go in the future, and why having our fearless fixers as members would be important. We are currently working with 11 states who are either interested in coming on or who have requested more information about what coming on might entail. So if you would love to hear your state talk about those things for about 15 minutes on our podcast, please let them know. Maybe send them a message, go to your state association page and ask the question, send them our way. If you are a listener who is part of your state association and you all would like to come on, every state was invited about a month ago via email. I sent the email to one to three email addresses. I tried for the three P's and the general, if I could get it, um, but it didn't happen in every state. So you might have even missed it, but you can message us at team at FixSLP. If you're interested in talking with me, I can get with you and give you more details. But we are scheduling that now. We're ready to get going. Um, It's time to have some states on. Remember, if you forgot to pause earlier, as soon as you turn this off, 
go uh, rate and review us. We really appreciate it. So we will be back next week. Thanks for fixing it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.